Well, if you're following this on your uh, Pew Bibles, these ones, it's on page 1054. Um, so the reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 45. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steve. Now, I don't often have a music stand, but I'll let you into a thing. I, I usually have a little folder that I put my words in. In fact, I've got two of them. Can't find either of them. I think the cat's eaten them. I've no idea where they are. Um, so I've put my notes on a music stand today. Um, so anyway, no, I told you that. Let's pray. <laughs> um, Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you um, for the opportunity and the privilege it is to journey through uh, this gospel of Luke and for the ways that we have seen your life come to life um, and some of your ministry and what it shows us. And we pray now as we look at this next account, these few verses, um, help us to uh, see you and hear you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, this morning, actually, we had an even shorter re reading. If you thought that was short, this morning we had two verses. And this, this evening we've got four. So we've doubled it. Is that right? Four to five, six, seven. Yeah, four. Let me just check. Um, and um, we are going to have a think about these verses with Jesus entering the temple. Um, if you're joining us and you're thinking, hang on a minute, that feels really early. It's nowhere near Easter yet. Uh, well, um, we've, as Jonathan said, we are traveling through Luke. And last week we thought a bit about when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, which we often think about at Palm Sunday. Um, and this is where we get to now. We're thinking about what happened when Jesus um, stepped into the temple just after he had triumphantly entered Jerusalem. A reminder, if we look back through Luke's gospel, we can see um, in, right back in chapter 9 that Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. And all the way to this point, he's been traveling to the city. And so this time, we're really going to be thinking about what happened to Jesus after he entered Jerusalem. That's the location, really, of much of what we will think about. And so what we read is that Jesus enters um, Jerusalem and he heads to the temple. And um, it's interesting because we look in Scripture, if we look in Luke's Gospel, this is the first time that Jesus has entered the temple since he was 12. He, he may well have done at other points, but this is the, the first time since then that um, Jesus is mentioned doing this in Luke. And in chapter 2, we hear what happens to him. Let me just read you these words. We should have them on the screen as well. Sorry, they're a little small. My apologies. From Luke 2, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. First of all, three days, that's actually quite a long time to be looking for your 12-year-old son, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, So you can sort of understand why they say what they say. But it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus uses those words, my father's house. And we sort of have echoes of that in this reading um, in Luke 19. But just a reminder, actually, that we, um, although we focused last week on the sort of the Palm Sunday narrative, there's a little bit between, um, and that is when Jesus, after he enters Jerusalem, he looks over the city and weeps over it. He mourns over how they've just got to the point that they have, that they have found themselves in the position they are. So he enters triumphantly, then he weeps over the city, and then he walks into the temple courts, only to find people selling things. Now, interestingly, if we look in this account, in Luke's account, we don't see anything about what uh, the people are selling, what they're doing. Um, In other versions, in uh, in the other versions, it says things like doves. They're changing money. They would have needed to change money to, to use it in the temple. But here, Luke doesn't mention it, and I find that quite interesting. Maybe it's because that's really not his focus here. It's not on, a, on what they were sort of selling, or not on the money changing. It's just the fact that they were doing it in the first place. And for Luke, it's what Jesus says, which seems to be the focus. And so this evening, I want to f- particularly focus on one verse. We've got a four-verse passage. We're going to hone in on verse 46 this evening, which says this. Jesus said, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. That's the verse we're going to particularly hone in on this evening. But before we go any further, I thought it'd be really helpful for us to get a bit of an understanding of what the temple is, of where this account took place. And so I want us to think a little bit about the temple this evening, first of all. Now, the temple was um, destroyed in AD 70, so we've not got any photographs. Um, But we have got various um, pictures and um, impressions and models of the temple. So here's the first picture I want to show you. I find that amazing. That is the city of Jerusalem um, at the time. And just look at the imposing nature. I've circled the the temple in red just to make it definitely obvious where the temple is. Just look at how imposing that temple is over the city of Jerusalem. And actually, when we look in Luke, he often uh, makes it Jerusalem and the temple synonymous with each other. And of course, for for Israel, for the people of Israel, this is the heart of their faith. The temple is the heart of their faith, and the city is the heart of their nation. If you're interested, the long walls are about the the length of four and a half football fields. Gives you the size. I mean, it's a lot bigger than this building. It's a big place, a big space. Next, I've got a map of the temple for you. 
And so you can see you've got this sort of building structures in the middle and this big area around the outside. And the bit around the outside, as I've highlighted in red there, is the court of the Gentiles. That is the furthest place anyone who was not Jewish could go. And this is where our reading takes place this evening, in the court of the Gentiles. I wonder also whether it's the place they met when the early Christians met together in Acts, when they met in the temple courts daily to worship together. Here, another picture for you. Um, I have highlighted there, this is not um, from a camera above, obviously this is a model. Um, And this is right in the middle now, the the middle bit of the temple. And the cross-shaped bit, which I've circled in red there, that is the court of women. And that is the, the sort of furthest point that women could go in the temple. And that's just slightly smaller than a football field. And of course, that is where someone like the prophet Anna worshipped day and night in Luke 2. You can also see, um, I think I've put another one with another circle. Yes, that is the court of the priests. And you can see in the middle, there's an altar there. And that would have been where the sacrifices would have taken place. And then final picture for you. Right in there, um, in that big structure, is the Holy of Holies the place where um, only the high priest could go one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And I think it's really really helpful for us to just see that, get that picture of the temple. It's the most important place for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. The place they would all go at various points. The place uh, those from all over the world met on the day of Pentecost, for example. And here in our story, the time of year, many would have been coming um, to, to bring a sacrifice at the time of Passover. And so what we read in this passage is focused on the temple, and particularly in those courts around the outside. And when Jesus enters, he encounters all sorts as he walks into the court of the Gentiles. People exchanging money, selling animals for sacrifice. And the many visitors from all around the country and beyond. It must have been a hubbub of sound. If you've ever been to, to a football match, or I, I, went, I was very fortunate to go to Wembley last year, and the sound of everybody just all milling around waiting to go in was really quite powerful. Imagine that, but that was one football pitch. Imagine it being four football pitches full of people, and you just get the sense of what it might have been like. And what we see in this passage is Jesus' response. We read that he drives out the sellers. He's not happy with what's going on. And interestingly, the Greek word that Luke uses for Jesus driving out the sellers is the Greek word that is used when Jesus or anyone else drives out the demons. So if we look um, a couple of verses for you um, at Luke 9.46, Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And then Luke 11.14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And there are other um, possible passages we could look at there. And I find that fascinating, that that's what Jesus is doing here. He is driving out the sellers, but there's more to it than that. 
There's a sense here that this is really important for Jesus to do. It's not that he's annoyed that people are selling things, but about what it demonstrates. To the extent that Luke describes it being like Jesus driving out evil spirits. It's interesting because he doesn't criticize the sacrificial system, that sense of, you know, uh, you must kill a certain animal for certain things and and all of that. He doesn't um, criticize any of that. But these acts are what he has a problem with. And interestingly, it's in the court of the Gentiles. Hold on to that. So let's have a look at why Jesus does what he does. And we're simply going to look at the two um, verses of Scripture that Jesus refers to. Um, The one that he says, house of prayer, and then he says, den of robbers. Both of these quotes are from the Old Testament, from Old Testament Scripture, and we're going to have a look at them one by one. So this first one, Jesus is quoting um, Isaiah 56, verse 7, and it's one of my favorite passages. It's all about the salvation, about salvation for all not just the people of Israel. And it's quite a long passage, but we only had a short reading, so I thought I'd read it. I hope that's okay. Um, This is Isaiah uh, chapter 56, verses 1 to 8. And I have got them on the screen for you. But do find them in your Bibles if you've got them. They're on the coffee tables around you as well. This is what it says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. It is a beautiful passage, isn't it? Um, I I use it with Securely Single, which is a course that that I've written literally about singleness. Um, And I use that passage because it just helps us think a little bit about the hope that we find in God, the hope we find in Jesus. There's a promise in this passage, a promise for those who would be seen as outcasts, the eunuchs, the foreigners, that if they bind themselves to the Lord, so if they keep the Sabbath, if they follow the Lord, all of those things this passage says, they will be welcomed in the temple, in the house of prayer. Now, I find it quite interesting that that Jesus quotes this passage, but he only uses the house of prayer. There's two versions there, aren't there? It says house of prayer, and it says house of prayer for all the nations. Why does he do that? Well, um, the the same can be said um, in Matthew. Matthew does the same. But in Mark, (laughs) Jesus says a house of prayer for all nations. Why does Jesus in this account not say those words? Well, maybe because 
the temple would not become a place for the whole world. Because the temple was a place with demarcations where some could go and others couldn't. Now think about those pictures earlier. And in fact, when we look into Acts, we see Jesus sending his apostles out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and beyond. And in a sense, the temple isn't necessary. Think about when Jesus died um, and the turtle, turtle, the temple curtain. Anyway, um, I'm tired. I'm going on holiday. Uh, The temple curtain was torn in two, meaning that entrance was for everybody. It could also be that what Jesus is saying here is that the very place where Gentiles could come had been so taken over by money sellers that there was no place for prayer. It was no longer a house of prayer. So why have it as a house of prayer for all the nations if they're not praying there? If we look in Luke, we can see a few occasions where people are praying um, in um, the temple. We see Zechariah praying there. We see Simeon praying there. And in both cases, what happens? They have a revelation relating to Jesus. Later, the disciples would meet in the temple, praising God with great joy after the ascension of Jesus, right at the end of Luke's gospel. It's where Peter and John prayed for healing for the lame man. It's where Paul in Acts 22 was praying when God spoke to him and sent him out of of Jerusalem to the Gentiles. So what we see there is that as a place of prayer, the temple was a place of revelation of who Jesus was, of the power of his name with that healing, for example, It was a place of significance in the sending out of the good news of Jesus to the whole world. So if it wasn't a place of prayer, if it hadn't become a place of prayer, it couldn't be a place of revelation. It couldn't be a place of mission. And maybe that is why those in the temple hadn't seen who Jesus was. Maybe the selling was a barrier to the the revelation of Jesus. And maybe that is why Jesus is so angry here. And that's a challenge for all of us. The challenge of the place of prayer in our lives. Now, now some of you will know that I, um, when I lived in Manchester, I was a schools and children's worker for four years in inner city Manchester. And one of the schools I went into was 96% Muslim. And it was a fascinating place to go in and do RE lessons and assemblies. And I always had to be really, really careful what I said. And one day I was doing an RE lesson with, I think, some year twos. And um, they'd asked me to go and talk about prayer. So I decided to tell them that you could pray wherever you are. I can talk to Jesus wherever I am, because I knew that for them, that would, for many of them, that would be quite unusual because of the, the way that uh, the Muslim faith works. And, and, and um, so I, I said all of this to them, and then one hand came up, and I, I sillily <laughs> said to them, yeah, what would you like to say? She went, miss, does that mean I can pray on toilet? <laughs> And I was like, yes, (laughs) wasn't the thing I was hoping that they would take away from that. But hey, um, if it helped them realize that we can pray wherever we are, then that's great. Thing is, we know, we know, don't we, that we can pray anywhere. But what is the place of prayer in our lives? Is it in prayer that God can reveal himself to us? Is it the place where God can lead us? 
where he demonstrates his power. So what are the sellers that stop you seeing who Jesus is? What are the sellers which stop you seeing where God is leading you? What do you need to ask Jesus to drive out so that you can have that place of prayer? So there's something there about the fact that we need to have that place of prayer in our own lives. But of course, that also um, is true of us as a congregation, as a church. The place of prayer is so important, which is why it's great that we pray monthly on a Monday night. Do come. Um, We've just had one, but come to the next one, which happens to be on a Wednesday. But don't worry. That's just the way it is. What is the place of prayer in your life? So next we're going to move on to the other phrase, the other passage that Jesus quotes, and that is the den of robbers. Um, Great. (laughs) Um, And so, again, Jesus quotes something from the Old Testament, and this time he quotes at Jeremiah chapter 7. And we've already had a couple of readings, but let's have another, shall we? And this (laughs) is Jeremiah 7, verses 1 to 11. This is what Jeremiah said. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and says, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Oh. That is a real challenge, that passage. It's really, really powerful. And you can see why Jesus quotes it. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? The people that he was speaking to, how much did they know those passages? They would have read them many times. Maybe it just brought to their minds when they heard that phrase, when they um, heard that, to take them to Jeremiah 7. And that passage is about how uh, the people are acting when they're not in the temple. And then they go and they say, well, the temple of the Lord three times. And there, therefore, they they think it's okay because they're safe in the temple. In other words, they think that they can do whatever they like and then come into the temple because it's a refuge and a safe place. Interestingly, um, this Jeremiah passage also seems to show that relationship between the temple and the city. You know, they're sort of intrinsically linked Um, It says in the beginning verses, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. And as I was thinking about that, I was just thinking, you know, I wonder whether 
Sometimes we lose that sense of, of the church, and I don't mean the building, I mean the, the church itself being right at the centre of where we live, where we dwell, the centre of our lives, the reason we exist to worship, and that that worship flows out into the rest of our existence. Have we sometimes made church into a club? And that, of course, is a challenge for all of us who are Christians, that church is not a place we can come um, after doing whatever we like and say, it's okay, I'm in church. It's not that at all, is it? But that's what's going on in the Jeremiah passage. I remember when I was a student in Manchester and um, I uh, went to a church and um, there was a season when I came home from church every Sunday and all I felt like I'd been told was that I was a sinner. And um, I just felt like, oh, I can't be bothered to go next week. I know what I'm going to hear. And that was really hard. And Jonathan and I were talking about this um, not long ago, about the fact that um, many of us in the church sort of almost rebelled against that um, and went against it because we were missing out on the love and the grace and the mercy. But we went so far that we forgot to remind ourselves that sin is important. We need to also talk about love and grace, but we need to talk about sin. It's important for us to remember that sin is serious. You know, the people in Jeremiah were deceptive. They treated others badly. They followed other gods, yet they walked into the temple as if they'd done nothing wrong. And let's face it, this world is in a mess because of sin. But Jesus came because of sin. So it's a reminder here that we cannot act just how we like and then think it's okay to walk into church as if we've done nothing wrong. Instead, we need to recognize that our relationship with Jesus is across the whole of our lives and not just on a Sunday. Yes, of course, we will mess up. And yes, there is forgiveness and love and grace. And if we mess up, we simply need to repent and come afresh to Jesus. But I wonder sometimes whether we see the impact sin can have on our lives. Do we see the seriousness of sin? Now, of course, the church is a very different place from the temple. I've already said it's, not a, it's, not a, it's a people, it's not a place, it's not a building. In fact, uh, Scripture reminds us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple of verses from uh, 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then uh, chapter 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Together we are temple of the Holy Spirit. So our actions don't just affect ourselves. They have an impact on everyone else. So it's a hard question, but are there ways that you are treating this place like a den of robbers? And when I say this place, place I mean this body of believers, this church, yourself. 
Remember, though, there is love. There is grace. Bring it to Jesus. Don't just brush it under the carpet and think it's okay because the people in Jeremiah got into a bit of a mess through that. Or maybe you're here today and and you're not sure what you think, whether you're a Christian or not. Well, this forgiveness, this love, this grace that is is available to you, whatever you have done, And Jonathan's already mentioned it, but come along to the Alpha course, find out more. Um, Or maybe you're ready today to come to him. So Jesus makes it very clear through these references that what is happening in the court of the Gentiles is not right. And once he drives out the sellers, what happens? Well, this is the last part of the reading. Verse 47. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So what happens is the temple courts, the courts of the Gentiles, becomes a place of teaching once again, every day, a place where Jesus could reveal who he was. A place where Jesus could teach about the kingdom of God, the good news to all people. A place that maybe could become a house of prayer. A place that wasn't for a den of robbers. And as we will find out, unfortunately a place where the authorities are not happy with what Jesus does. So this evening, there are a few challenges in there, aren't there? Challenges about the place of prayer in our lives, but also challenges about the way we act outside church and actually how what we do in church needs to spill out into the rest of our lives. So let's just spend a moment in quiet and then let's pray. Band, do you want to come up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that Jesus entered this temple. The way that he saw what was important. We thank you for the way that him cleansing that temple enabled him to teach there. And I just wonder whether for some of us, there's a sense that we need Jesus to clear away whatever's in our lives so that it can be a place where we can hear Jesus's voice and receive what he has for us. So I just want to encourage you if there's anything particular that you need to give to Jesus now. Just place it at the foot of the cross. And know that because of the cross, you can find forgiveness and freedom and grace.
And I pray for any of us who have that sense of uh, challenge about the place of prayer in our lives. Lord, we know that lives can get so busy and taken up with all sorts of stuff, but this morning we were reminded that Jesus took more time when things got busier. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, have that right place of prayer in our lives. And the same for our church, Lord. So Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Help us to live each day for you. In Jesus' name, amen.